You know the old adage, Amit, actions speak louder than words, right? You heard that one before? I have. You know what also speak loud sometimes? Please, let me know. Words. Words can speak loud sometimes. And on today's edition of World Cup After Dark, we're going to look at some words from players and from managers that spoke a lot and that did a lot. We'll get to all of that in a little bit. I'm Austin Miller. He's a bit Malik. It's Sunday. We just had a remarkably interesting World Cup day. And let's start with the first question for you, Amit. Did you wake up at 4 a.m. for Japan, Costa Rica? No. No, I took your advice. Uh, I checked at halftime. I saw it was 0-0, and I said, okay, I'll see what happens in a few hours. And uh, I missed I missed a great second half. I did. But, um, eh. well. You missed, I missed a great World Cup moment. Great sure. second half gives a lot of credit to a game that was not very good. Right. Costa Rica did the Costa Rican thing where they played super defensive. They took the one chance. You know how many shots on target Costa Rica have in this World Cup? I do know this one. Just yeah. one. Just it's one. one. And you know yeah. what happened? It went in the goal. That is a pretty good hit rate for the Costa Ricans. 100% for Los Ticos. When they shoot on goal, it goes in. And it went in against Japan today. And Japan kind of huffed and kind of puffed and didn't really ever come close to blowing the house down and may have wasted a massive opportunity in this World Cup. Still, as group stage game to go, if we've learned anything in this World Cup, it's don't put the results on paper until they've actually happened. But wow, this was a result that not a lot of people were expecting. Yeah, we were expecting Japan to take care of business and to solidify their big win over Germany, and Costa Rica had just gotten waxed by Spain. And I think Japan are going to regret this massively whether they can get a result in the final day or not they've just made their path that much harder and they're playing a spain team that also has work to do so they've really (laughs) they really put themselves behind the eight ball and i think it started from the jump their lineup wasn't aggressive enough and then they i know you we talked about it right before this that they tried to press costa rica and they couldn't even because costa rica was press proof yeah, they were smart on their there, part. There were moments in this game where Japan tried to draw Costa Rica out, and Costa Rica were just like, nah, we're going to come out in the last 10 minutes if it's still nil-nil or if you score. And until that point, we're not going to do anything because we don't have to because we're Costa yeah. Rica and there's no pressure on us in this game. Yeah. And they executed that plan. It did seem like Japan's best chances were in that first stretch of the second half. They had a few shots from distance that tested Kaylor Navas, but largely wasteful first half you know this team's not going to hurt you going forward i know they scored but it was with one shot right be more proactive in uh in chasing a result but i don't know it seems like once they went down there wasn't really much to to write home about like costa rica just shut up shop didn't even give them that many big chances yeah this was i think kind of a bad matchup for japan right like the style that they play you know they play that kind of pseudo bundesliga high press free flowing quick passing move high intensity rock and roll stuff right yeah. that doesn't necessarily jibe with a team that has no intentions of playing the game as you expect it to be played right like from the get go you need space you need yeah. space to to attack to run into to stretch you can't when it's immovable. <laughs> yeah, and Costa Rica was just like, we're going to put four, and then we're going to put five in front of that, and then we're going to tell Joel Campbell, like, hey, go run around up top and maybe do some things at points. And that was this game for about 70 to 75 minutes. Japan couldn't really break it down, and then Costa Rica got to a point where it was like, okay, 
we probably don't like our odds of beating Germany. A point keeps us alive. Let's be a bit more adventurous. And they had a pseudo penalty shout that was never going to get called. And then the very next time they went forward, Fuller took a shot and the very ice cold Japanese goalkeeper who hadn't done anything all day probably could have saved it. Was that a save? It was weird. Did it take a deflection? A, the keep oh on the way there i don't think so it looked pretty okay. curled nicely it was the keeper was maybe a step too far but given where he was he gave a full stretch and he palmed it into the net i'm not yeah. sure but go ahead you'd like your goalkeeper to do better there and the yeah. fact that your goalkeeper had not had to touch the ball in any sort of danger at any point and really wasn't involved in this game at all probably didn't help and from there, Costa Rica, like you said, they shut up shop and they had their one Keeler Navas moment where the ball's kind of spinning around and he makes this save and then it's still there and he corrals it. And you're just like, yeah, oh, that's Keeler Navas. And that's what he does. And this was all very Costa Rica from the get go. And their game plan that obviously didn't work against Spain, that saw them eat seven goals against Spain, worked today against Japan. And it was like a bad result for this group in the sense of like Japan getting out of this group would have been a very good storyline, but it was a good result in the sense of Costa Rica have a group of dudes who are up there in age and they have this kind of younger generation coming through. John Arnold talked about it when he was previewing them with us before this tournament. And what did Costa Rica do? Those old dudes had one more world cup moment in them. That was the question we asked. Like are Costa Rica going to have a world cup moment? And regardless of what happens against Germany, on Thursday, they had their World Cup moment today, and it worked, and it was a pretty cool moment for them, and it obviously meant a lot. Yeah, spot on. It was really big for the Federation to show that they could get a big result, that they were counted out, so I think that covers it. And I think for Japan, just a little bit on them is <clears throat> their luck went back a little bit the other way. They, Well, they were um, good value for their win. I think we've said that before against Germany. Uh, they gave up 2.3 XG and a penalty and gave up just one goal from that. And today they gave up one shot and it went in and it was kind of a, it was a good shot, but it was a pretty low quality ish chance. It was a curled shot from the top of the box. Like that's the world cup. The swings are crazy. So I don't know. I feel, I, I personally feel bad for Japan because I want them to go yeah. through. They still have a chance, but I don't feel bad because you you let this happen to you against Costa Rica, who I'm not saying they didn't deserve it. They frustrated Japan, but I don't know. Cha- yeah, yeah, you got to take care of business. This is a game yeah. that you have to win. If you were if you were going to get out of this group, this was must win, and they didn't. Yeah, you have to consolidate big results in the World Cup, and that has been proven time and time again. That result, admit, took a lot of the sting out of Germany, Spain later in the day because there was no result that was going to eliminate Germany directly. They were able to play for anything. And because of that, this game that felt like it was going to be this massive World Cup moment kind of resorted back to this like first leg UEFA Champions League quarterfinal match, right? Lots of really good players, lots of really good play, but it's all kind of a setup for what's to come, right? Totally. They both knew that they, Germany knew that they didn't need the win as desperately. And so both teams, you know, wanted to go for it. Spain were on the front foot. They had most of the ball, as we thought. They were a little bit better, but there were chances both ways, but not teams really selling out for the goals. And Germany, maybe we're going to steal uh, the lead on the Rudiger set piece, which he yep. was he was offsides, but 
really good. And I, I would advise Luis Enrique to tell his guys not to just stand there and let the guys run past him. Like, I know that's how a trap a, works, but like, yeah, it was a great late run. That was just a bit offside. Right. And it was a late yeah. run that was super effective because Spain had no idea it was coming. Right. But the game changed in the second half because both teams starting with Spain brought on strikers and, I think it mattered a lot because if you look at the Murata goal, it's him running in behind the back line to get across. And it's a very good finish at a tight angle, but that's a striker's type of goal. And I, I just don't understand how in 2022, the way we understand soccer, that you cannot play a striker unless it's emergency. Like the guy you have is that much worse, but that's not the case with either of these teams. And then Germany brought on their striker full Krug, Who's in the big form. dude. And they were immediately much more dynamic in the box because he was able to just hang out off the line. And then when Musiala broke through, he was like, oh, I'm open now. And I will do the thing that the other guys don't want to do is shoot. And he had a very good goal. And it was 1-1 just like that. And the strikers changed the game. And I just, I know Flick and Enrique are geniuses, like tactical geniuses. So I'm not going to be like, do this, do that. But I'm also going to be like, just... Do this, do I, that. <laughs> I don't know what you just saw. I don't, we all saw the same thing. Like, your teams looked better with strikers in. Like, Spain did this in the 2012 Euro final, right? They play Italy, and they're like, oh, we don't have a striker. So we're just going to play David Silva as a false nine. And it was like, okay, this is the greatest passing team of all time. You know what? You know how you need a false nine to work is you need to do a lot of the triangles, a yeah. lot of passing. We're going to stretch them out. We're going to break them to the point, and then we're going to get a wide open chance because we've just possess the ball so well you know how hard it is to do that today when your dude in the furthest most position his first instinct is to come backwards the whole point of a striker is they stretch a back line and they get in dangerous positions and then they shoot and both of the strikers did that i just it, it baffles me and we're going to talk about another team today croatia we're no no teasing the result you know who was yeah. really good kramerich he was yeah. really good for them in the box i know he's not like an elite striker but like He's he a striker. Was, he was job. perfect for what Croatia needed. You know what? I don't see Brazil doing. I don't see Brazil. They have better midfielders, better wingers than strikers. They still play Richarlison and Gabi Jesus. Okay. Rant over, but don't get too cute. Don't get too cute, guys. How do you feel about Spain going forward? I know they're kind of your team in this tournament. What does this result do now that we've had two games from them? A cruising 7-0 win over Costa Rica and a tested 1-1 draw against Germany. Where are you at on Spain? I think they're about what I thought. They clearly, on talent, are a top four or five team at this tournament. They're going to dominate the ball and the game because they want to. And they know what that brings, which is they leave themselves open on the counter. And they live with that. And Unai Simon has to make some tough saves. He has to come off his line. The back line is fine. I thought having Danny Carvajal today helped them. He's just a little bit faster than... Cesar Azpilicueta, who probably shouldn't see the field against a fast team. But, you know, they're they're defensively fine on paper, but I think the best teams are going to test them. And it was really disappointing that after they went up, Germany immediately just took control of the game. Yeah. And I know Germany's very good, but Spain, this is a, a stage of international football marked by really good defending out of a low block. And I just... Don't think Spain enjoy doing that, which is awesome, but it's going to hurt them at some point. So the question is, can they score enough? And they definitely have enough quality to do that. So it doesn't, I think Spain are still a favorite. I think they 
if they get through this group in first, it's going to put them in the tough side of the bracket. So I'm not sure that the semifinal final run that I'm hoping for is likely, but I still really like what they're doing. Um, I think they're playing the most attractive soccer, but that's not what wins you games. Sure. So this group now, Spain are on four points. Costa Rica and Japan are on three points. Germany are on one point. Spain are feeling good about going through. The only thing that would eliminate them at this point is if they were to lose to Japan and either Costa Rica win against Germany or Germany beat Costa Rica by eight goals, which is theoretically possible, right? Like Spain beat Costa Rica by seven goals. Theoretically possible. It's not a completely insane result. And that's probably the result Germany will be looking for just so they can, you know, cover their bases. So Spain are feeling good and should probably be able to get out and win the group. How do you see this Germany Costa Rica game going, right? Like Costa Rica, we know their approach. Their approach is play for a point at some point, maybe go for the win and hope that the other result goes your way, which in this case would be Spain beating Japan. That's a decent enough game plan for Costa Rica, right? Yeah. They're going to defend pretty heartily. I think for 45 minutes, they're just going to defend. They're just going to defend and hope they get into halftime 0-0. And if they do, then they'll slowly think about venturing into the attacking third with more players than just Joel Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. So, <laughs> Joel Campbell, you can go whenever you want. Everybody go, else, nope. Yeah. Nope. And, and listen, Germany, Germany's like going to take their chances by leaving just two center backs, maybe three, right. back. They're going to say, okay, Joel Campbell, if you want to go one on three, that's on you. And we'll see. Probably won't work. But... And they also have Ben Malnoyer to just erase yeah, sweeper keeper. off his line. Sweeper yeah, keeper. so I I think it's likely that Germany score some point, And then Costa Rica's like, ah, we got to go chase it. And then Germany score more. And then at what point does Costa Rica, like, just try to stop embarrassing themselves? Do yeah. they have a favorite? Like... In general, you don't have a favorite. You just play to limit the scoreline as much as possible. But we know that's not how humans work. So, like, does Costa Rica get opened up? Like, or even if they go down 1-0, can they stay compact and bunkered and hold it to 2 or 3? And look, I'm not saying they tried to give up 7 or they quit against Spain. They didn't quit. But Spain... Spain kind of just were having a training session. And we're also relentless. Spain were relentless in that game. And Germany will be relentless, too. Yeah. So I think there's that aspect. And now we look at this from Japan. Spain is a better matchup for Japan than Costa Rica was. Like Costa Rica are a significantly less talented team and Japan should have been able to beat Costa Rica. But as far as what will happen on the pitch, Japan stylistically match up better with Spain, right? Because they can kind of press high. They can look to counter. They can be aggressive. They can play intense. They couldn't necessarily do that against Costa Rica. This is a pretty interesting game because Spain are not home free yet they're in a really good spot but they have to approach this game intending to win it especially if they want to win the group and that might open the door for japan yeah totally and the way spain attack they leave space behind them um today we saw sergio busquets who has been good for spain in these two matches there were times where he was running backwards and that's not what he wants to do because he's he was never that fast but he's good good seeing the game in front of him and mm-hmm. kind of controlling. And listen, he's not afraid to take a yellow, which he did. But J- Japan are going to have space to attack. And it's interesting if Luis Enrique respects Japan enough to kind of slow down his team's approach. Uh-huh. Which 
he I I want to say against Germany he was okay about it. They obviously committed numbers forward, but their midfield is so good that they were in the first half they were like they weren't really too open. Is what I, is my assessment of it. Sure. So it'll be interesting how much he he knows that Japan wants him to play and leans into it knowing that's his team's strength. So I uh, it's fascinating for sure and of course the more it goes the more desperate Japan get. And then they're really going to press Spain. And yeah. they, they can do close to what Germany did once they went down one in this game and try to ask questions of the Spanish line. But the more they do that, Spain are going to be very dangerous the other way as well. So it, it's a pretty classic encounter. And we'll see if Spain can get a goal from their dominance and play mistake-free on the back. Should Spain play a striker against Japan? Yeah. It was a trick question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just saw Germany play them without one and fire a bunch of goals that their midfielders could not convert, which... There you go. But l- last note on it, Jamal yep. Musiala was so good for Germany. He has... He's already on Bayern, so I'm not sure yeah. where how much there is up to go. Yeah. But he's already... He's playing like one of the best attacking midfielders in the world. He's... We're talking about guys that are one-man cheat codes for offense. He's in that that realm now let's move to the other group a bit we're gonna call this the group of words on yesterday's show you talked about the kevin de bruyne quote 2018 was our best chance to win a world cup we got some guys coming through but we're older and we're still old and we're probably not gonna win this world cup um he was right right belgium nil morocco too they got played off the pitch by canada in their first game and somehow won they got played off the pitch today by morocco and they were not as fortunate this was a really good performance from morocco and Belgium are probably in trouble here because they're just not particularly good and they don't necessarily look like they really want to be here. Great combination. Yeah, the vibes are bad. We had circled Belgium before this tournament as a team that could crash out of this group, that could make a disappointing exit. And I don't think it was like we had struck oil or something that people didn't know was there. It was plain and clear that Belgium's backline was not the level, that Axel Witzel was not the level, they were too slow, and that they were particularly in a group designed to hurt them with two teams, Canada and Morocco, who were free-flowing and really fast and dangerous in space. And in two games, they got burnt. And listen, they they managed the result, a win, which keeps them alive. But when your best player says that, like we said this yesterday, it's a massive warning bell and then it happened like you can't you can't say that after a win you just like i'm not saying that affected the result but just mentally like that's really disappointing to see from your best player and then jan vertarian today they were like what happened and he was like i guess we're too old like don't lead to do it don't lead to do it you just lost have some have some respect it's really bad vibes and martinez you know credit to him he was like after the game like well we weren't good enough this was really bad this was terrible we're, we stink but you know what he's going to do in the next game? He's going to roll out the same setup. So, like, this is this is uh, where we're at with Belgium. This is yeah. what happens when you've got the same team for their third, fourth iteration, and they're just – they're good, but their flaw at this point is too obvious to overcome. Yeah. And full credit to Morocco. I do think Courtois, who did make some great saves in this game, obviously on the first goal, I, I think a keeper can do better there. I know that angle is tough, but – 
Yeah, it's tight angle free free kicks for the win. Morocco nearly opened the scoring on a tight angle free kick. They put the ball in the back of the net only for it to get waved off for offside. And then that's how they ended up opening the scoring was on a tight angle free kick with runners in front kind of clouding up things. And yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Like Thibaut Courtois is a really good goalkeeper and save them certainly against Canada with the big penalty save. But at the end of the day, like, you need your big goalkeeper to deal with those sorts of situations. And he didn't. And so if he's down a notch for Belgium, they're really in the mud because the defense is certainly down a lot of notches. It took 40 seconds for Hakim Ziyech to have his first go at the Belgium back line because he was just like, I can take these dudes all day. And that's what he did. He took them all day, created chances, won fouls, and that's how they ended up scoring. Yeah, he was excellent on the second goal. And though the last 20 minutes of this game, it just looked like Morocco were just running riot at the Belgian back line in space and making life miserable. And they it were was... really smart because they got up the goal. They got up a goal and they didn't immediately try to shut things down. They knew that their best way to see out that result was to continue to pressure Belgium at the points where they had been pressuring all game. Like they yeah. were smart and they, you know, they won fouls, they wasted time and that sort of thing. But they kept going because they knew the worst thing we can do is give a player like Kevin De Bruyne a parked back line to aim passes at right so what did they do they continued to press belgium's below average back line and it resulted in another goal which could potentially have been big for them given the way that things gone you know other results etc etc it's always good to score more goals they were good they were well deserving of their result here and as we'll get to in a second it leaves belgium in a very precarious spot other words amit after the game john herdman in a moment of passion said to, in an interview that he had told his team that they were going to, quote, F Croatia. They did that in the first 90 seconds. Alfonso Davies, free in the box. Bang, header, 1-0 Canada. Internet explodes. John Herdman knows what he's talking about. Croatia, we thought Belgium were the old team. Maybe Croatia are the old team. All of the takes get flooded out in the universe. And then the team that was World Cup runners-up four years ago in Russia came to play and put on a clinic and just sliced up the Canadian midfield Atima Hutchinson at 39, 100th cap. Great story. But, dude, you were too old today, and you had nothing. Canadian backline kind of pieced together with some dudes and cones from various spots around the world. Not good enough to stand up against this Croatia team. And they took them to the woodshed, and they won 4-1, and it was a well-deserved 4-1 win. Totally. I think the defining image from this one is in the 93rd minute. It's a two-on-one for Croatia, but the ball goes right to Kamal Miller. And he's like, oh, all I got to do is kick this away. And then he he slipped and went through his legs. And then it was yeah. a two-on-none. Listen, I, I really respect Canada. I thought they were the best team in CONCACAF in terms of qualifying. We looked at this team and we saw the front three and we're like, this is as good a front three as anyone has at this tournament. And Herdman, excellent manager. He takes your weakness. He pinpoints it. He's awesome. And at the end of the day, whether it's Herdman or the players, Canada could not overcome that its back line is just not that good. And whether it's talent, organization, mistakes, it happens. And it's it's tough because at two games, they're out, which you yeah. that's the worst outcome. And they definitely should feel hard done by, but I think when we talked with you and I with John Arnold, we were like, Canada, they're inexperienced, and they're maybe just not ready for this cycle. And we're, maybe we were wrong because Canada, I think, played well, but we expected Canada could play well and just knock yep. it out. So it was, I do feel for them. But Croatia, maybe we, we – I think I was wrong on them. I thought they were trending in the slower, badder direction. And 
their control of the game through midfield. We're seeing midfields really make their mark on this tournament. The passing is sublime. And the yeah. way that they can just... They were just constantly putting Canada pinned back. They had guys all over the box in the right positions. They always had passing options. And the goals in the middle were just... Canada had were just undone by great yeah. passing. There was nothing left to do. Good finishes. I talked already before that Kramerich was really good for Croatia, but... This was a complete performance. Like, and if, if Croatia continue to finish like this, they're going to be a really hard team to knock out of this tournament because they played so well in the midfield. They can control the game in the midfield. They could take advantage of any midfield weakness on the other end. Uh, do you know why teams play low event defensive football at the international level? Canada are a prime example of that because they had some really good moments in this tournament. They took the game to Belgium and couldn't finish. They scored early against Croatia, but at the end of the day, they were just way too open in this game. And at some point they needed to rein it in. And that point was at one, one and John Herdman, I think made a mistake in that. He said, my team can get this to halftime at one, one and we'll adjust then. And they didn't get it to halftime at one, one. Yeah. It got to two, one before halftime. Boom. Game over. Yeah. Story closed. Yeah, Canada, you know, huffed and puffed down 2-1 to really claw their way in. They had a few decent shots, but they didn't score, and then it went three, and then it was over. So I saw a really good tweet about this that explains this, and it's like, if you play a game and you're out, you're outshot 1 to, like, 0.3 in XG, or you're outshot 2 to 1.3 in XG, it's the same idea. You You have about the same chance of being in the game but the truth is in the second scenario where there's two more goals you've more than doubled your chance of the other team getting more variance and it's really a shame for the international game yeah because it leads to what we've seen in this tournament a lot of zero zero draws a lot of bunkered in back lines and i'm not saying that herman was naive because he looked at his team and thought that was the best way to win but the truth of it is like we are we are in the post analytic or the current middle like analytical age of soccer like it's exploded we saw it at 2018 that's how france won the world cup by being a good team that minimized variance it's bad for the game but you understand it it's yeah. why garrett southgate and louis van hall do what they do and we sit here and we yell at them i i, I love what canada did but they're out of the group yeah and this is protect up zero points yeah so this is potentially bad for my love of luis enrique yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh -oh. this, this is how it goes I think all of that being said, Canada also showed why there's so much promise because yes. that front line is ridiculous, right? Like Buchanan, David, Davies, and whether it's it's Laren, whether it's somebody else, whoever it is, that back line or that front line, excuse me, is really good. And they are super young and they're going to be super promising. And that is a really positive thing for Canada. They got their feet wet. They had their first goal at a men's world cup. And they still have a game to play. And I think Canada will relish playing the role of spoilers against Morocco. And I think that maybe is a bad thing for Morocco because we might see a Japan-esque failure to consolidate a big result. But we also saw that Canada were maybe a bit naive at this tournament. And look, they should have taken their chances against Belgium. And then it's a different story. And this result doesn't hurt you as much. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they got Boston in the midfield today. They did. For all, for all the things we said, like... It's a game of bounces and inches, and they were unlucky. Um, and the margins are slim. They easily could have the other way, but I think we both can look at their approach and agree. Yeah.
All right, so this group a bit is interesting. They're all pretty interesting. Now, these Belgium's... two these two are the most interesting, I think, yeah. of the final day. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens tomorrow. I'm not sure I quite agree with you on that because I think the Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland, okay. Argentina group is pretty sure. interesting as well. The other groups kind of boil down to one match, right? Group A, yeah. Ecuador, Senegal. Group B, Iran, United States. Group D, Australia, Denmark. Those groups boil down to one match. These groups all have kind of things in play where both games are important. So Morocco and Croatia are both on four points. Croatia have a better goal differential because they battered Canada in the second half. Germany are not in this group. Saved it there. Confused Germany and Belgium, but made a good point anyway. (laughs) Belgium are on three points because of their win against Canada. Canada are on no points and are eliminated, but can play spoiler against Morocco. Belgium probably need to beat Croatia to go through. The first question I have for you, can they do that? They can. They certainly can. Um, but it's going to be hard because Croatia have seen the tape and they yeah. know that you know they're not as dynamic and fast as Morocco and Canada are, but their midfield is going to see what the Belgian midfield has done and have their way with it. Especially if Belgium play five. When you play five, you're just conceding midfield numbers. So yep. I think that Croatia will control this game. And Belgium, if there was ever a game to count, sit back and counter, this is it. But I, I don't know if it's going to be forced on Martinez or if he decides to. But that's their best chance to go through. And they can win by being an underdog type game and hitting like long balls from their back line. Or Kevin De Bruyne picks out one pass on the counter. And then they're good. Um, and if they have to chase the game, sure, they can go forward. But that's when Croatia will be more dangerous on the counter. So I, I think that the, everything that we've seen in two games leads me to believe that this is a bad matchup for Belgium. But it's not necessarily as bad as the other two. It's more that Croatia has just shown their, I think, they're a cut above Belgium right now. And we take all of that, which you just said, which is accurate, and we toss in the vibes. Right? Yes. Like, yes. Belgium are not giving you the sense that this is a team that is going to rally together and come up with an improbable result on the last day. This is a team that might, where do Belgians go to the beach? I don't know where they go to the beach, but they might have people, a beach house booked for next I Sunday. I think people fly to Spain is what yeah. they do. And- All right. They've got a beach house booked on the South coast of Spain for about a week. <laughs> it's I don't know. Real- it's real Cancun on three vibes for our yeah. NBA fans out there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah. And and so I get it. And yeah, Belgium are still really in this because Croatia is a team that they can beat. And it's not like Croatia are world beaters, right? They're a good team. They're a very solid team. They have a really good midfield. They've been finishing their chances. But it doesn't take a lot to envision Belgium winning this game until you recognize what Belgium have done so far at this tournament and just the just disgustingly apathetic vibes that we've gotten from them so far. Yeah. Again, before this tournament, uh, I don't know if I brought this up in a podcast, but Kevin DeVernon was like, man, I'm tired of Nations League. All we do is play Wales. And I was like, oh, that's where we're at with this team. They They just seem like a team that's playing a lot of football in the season. De Bruyne in particular is like, when I play for my club, I'm the best midfielder on the best team in the world, and I could do everything. And then when he I gets play for my country, team. I look over my shoulder and it's Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. I'm yeah. done with it. Yeah. And 
it's hard to imagine Belgium reversing the vibes and the play in one game. We both agree it's not impossible, but the signs are showing that it's it's not looking good. So Morocco, we talked about Japan's issue with consolidating a big result. I think Morocco are kind of looking at that as well in this game. So if Belgium fail to beat Croatia, Morocco are good. They're going to get through because they have the extra goal of goal differential as long as they don't lose by a lot to Canada. If they draw, they're through regardless. They could even win the group if they win, potentially. Morocco just kind of need to make sure they get this done. And I don't know what we're going to see from Canada in this game because there's two types of eliminated at the World Cup team, right? There's the Cancun on three eliminated World Cup team, which we're probably going to see from Qatar on Tuesday. Or like the very limited, very bad World Cup eliminated team. But then there's also the World Cup eliminated team that is better than the zero points that they have and is now freed up. Right. And Peru, we saw at the last World Cup. Australia didn't really have a chance to get another group. Peru beat them handily on the last day. Canada could absolutely be that type of eliminated World Cup team. It's a dangerous last game for Morocco coming off the high of this win. Completely. And it's also dangerous the way Morocco play, that they want to be in transition and stretch you and make it chaotic and give their two guys space to cook. And then Canada is like, well, we have three guys, but yeah. they also, they like that kind of game. So I think Morocco's manager is going to be very prudent and say, Hey, a draw gets us through. We're not going to completely bunker because it's not what you do against Canada, but we're going to shut this down a little bit. Um, and I think he's going to respect Canada and I expect Canada to keep doing what they're doing. So it'll be interesting, and if Canada somehow score, then it'll be really fun to see Morocco come and chase a result. But I think this leads more towards Morocco trying to get a cagey, scrappy, ugly match and nick a goal when they can. And look, they're good on set pieces. So that's teams that are good on set pieces here, it's a big X factor. So that helps them as well. Yeah, this is a match that had both teams come in with a chance to get out, it could have been super exciting because we could have seen a lot of goals in this game. I don't know what we're going to see. I'm a bit worried for Morocco, but I'm counting on Belgium to not get the job done, and that would put Morocco through anyway. So TBD on this group. I think it'll still be exciting on the last day because even if Belgium just go out in flames, they go out in flames, and that's super entertaining anyway. Tomorrow, the last day of match day two, the very last early morning kickoff, Serbia, Cameroon, your status? Uh, Monday, work day. I got to be... I got to be ready. I can be ready at seven. I don't know if I can be ready at four. Yeah. Somebody has to win unless they yeah. draw. Yeah. That'd be really bad for both teams. Yeah. Uh, Somebody needs to win. And I, if it's Serbia, it could set up an interesting final day showdown with Switzerland. Yeah. I think Serbia is the better team here, but Cameroon have shown that they are uh, more than up for a game. They, they literally played well against Switzerland. Um, they'll be up for this. It's a really tough game to predict. I think Serbia will be a little better and have more of the chances, but that doesn't mean Cameroon can't win this. And both teams know that a draw doesn't really suit them. So it honestly should lead to a good final 30, 20 minutes, but I don't know. How skip do you... the first hour, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that's where I, that's, that's yeah. where I come in. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Um, yeah. I think like this is the game that both of these teams have circled to get points. The next game we're going to talk about is exactly the same. Serbia, I think we're pretty good against Brazil, all things considered, and should back themselves to win this game. And if they do that, 
then you line up against Switzerland on the last day and you see what happens. Cameroon, their path out of this group is not an easy one. Um, it involves Brazil being on six points, rotating and not playing well, most likely, which eh, don't think I'm going to buy that for Cameroon. But you got to get the points and see what happens. That's what Costa Rica did. So let's see on this game. I'm going to be up for it because it's the last 7 a.m. game. It's the last challenge for me of this World Cup. I've made it through all of them. So 7 a.m. for you. Yeah, yeah 7 a.m. Is, is easy. Yeah, not, not, not 4 a.m. hours. Ghana, South Korea, much like Serbia, so what's much like Serbia, Cameroon. This is the game that both these teams had circled. This is where we get our points in this group, and then we see what happens. South Korea come in with a point already. Ghana played well against Portugal. We're one crazy back pick Jose Alvarado, but soccer style moment from stealing a point against Portugal. How do you see this one? This is I just want to make a note on this. One of yeah. the tabs I have up uh, when we do this podcast is the 538 percentage yeah. predictor, and they have South Korea as 44% to win and Ghana as 23% to win. And that just feels off to me. Is that a mistake? They feel like they're much closer, and if anything, I think Ghana is slightly more favored than South Korea here. Am I missing something? I think that stuff is baked by a lot of numbers, and I think numbers were probably pretty down on Ghana. Right, right, like because they they got we carved saw, a yeah. little bit. Well, and also what we've seen on Ghana, oh, like yeah. their priors, like their priors to this tournament yeah, were, were not bad, good, which we've talked about. Got a result against Switzerland, played pretty well against Portugal, so maybe there's some of that in it. It's an interesting game from that aspect, and it's an interesting game in that a point doesn't really do these teams very well because then they have to go out and win on the last day. Whereas if you win this, you open the door for a lot more scenarios on the last day. Yeah, this is the moment for either team to keep their World Cup going and really have a chance on the final day with the win. It's desperate, which is good. We'll see. I think both teams have a star uh, in the on their attack. Mohamed Kudus for Ghana. They have other players that are good for sure. But then South Korea have Youngman Sun. Let's see someone come up with a moment and get your team through. It's going to be South Korea have shown that they're very organized and they make it tough to play through but that they're also not going to necessarily have a lot of the ball. And Ghana's shown that they want the ball and they think they can play out of the back. And that's maybe to their detriment over the course of 90 minutes. So whoever makes less mistakes, and then if we can see a really nice finish. And Ghana, two good goals from them. I know the game states weren't necessarily yep. perfect, but I, I, I like Ghana a little bit more. Is that weird? I think they have no. more players that can hurt you than South Korea, who is reliant. They're like... They played Uruguay well, but it was mostly by being a pest to go through. Uh-huh. I like I I didn't see that much for Sun the other way. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Did you? I'm transitioning to the next game. I don't really have a ton to add on this game. We'll see what happens. I'm more of a reactor when it comes to these two teams. Did you like watching Brazil play in? Average to above average European team and slowly but surely tighten the screws as the second half went on. If you did, you're in luck. They're going to do exactly the same thing again. It's Brazil, Switzerland. Yeah. I think the only intrigue here, well, Switzerland could obviously make this interesting by scoring or doing a shock, of course. But if this game goes the way we think, I think what's interesting is if Neymar, who we know is out for at least this game and the next game, Brazil are, Neymar is one of the best players in the world. He is the one-man offense thing, that kind of thing. But Brazil are well-equipped of any squad at the tournament to yep. withstand that kind of loss. Their stable of wingers is amazing. It's Anthony or Rodrigo, next man up. Let's see what you got. So I'm excited to see if that if one of those guys just comes in and it's seamless. And of course, 
Brazil had great finishing from their nine. I, I, for me, that's really important for this team, for them to get yep. through a big game. Um, so I'm excited to see if Brazil do it, but I do think it'll go the way you said. Are you excited to see Sheridan Shakiri's defensive work rate in this game? Uh, That'll be the first time we see any defensive work rate out of him in about 18 months, right? right. Brazil do a really good job of pitting your midfielders back because the way that their wingers go, you you have to be very careful defending one-on-one. And then obviously the fullbacks can support, the midfielders can support. Serbia did a good job of like shifting numbers to the Neymar mm-hmm. side of the, the, actually the Venetia side of the field where Neymar was overloading to yeah. stop it. And it took a lot of doing for Brazil to get going. If Brazil go to the Shakiri side of the field, I'm not sure. Maybe they leave Shakiri high and they're like, uh, Jack, we, we don't even want you to try, bud. It's going to go bad. Just wait for the set piece. Just wait yeah. for the set piece. We're going to get a set piece. That's the only reason you're on the field. Last game of the day tomorrow, a bit. Portugal, Uruguay, really good game. Uruguay only have a point. Portugal won, but maybe weren't super impressive. We get to see the Ronaldo show again. This is a fun final game of match day two. Totally. It's very, it sets up for two good teams to go at each other because Uruguay, I think, have the onus to do so. That being said, I think both of these teams trend towards not playing the prettiest football, especially when Ronaldo is on the field. Um, I think Portugal, if they're playing well, should have their way with Uruguay and really go at them. But if it's Ronaldo ball, that's what Uruguay want. By yeah. all means, launch crosses and don't really threaten us yeah, those, behind. The guys at the back for Uruguay will eat those up all day, right? <clears throat> yeah. I'm so, begging, begging Uruguay to play an attacking midfielder. Just begging them. Just do it. Just see what happens. Would, What's the worst that could it? happen? I would like to see the Arascaeta for Uruguay. Yeah, he's the best. He's their best attacking midfielder. Yeah, like just do it. Argentina did it, and look, they played better. They put another. They put that extra midfielder on, and look, it was great. Just do it. You don't have to play so defensive in this game. See what you can do. I'm with Let's you. See. Let's see. Yeah, it's gonna be a good game. Um, interesting day tomorrow, and then boom, we're right into the final group stage matches. And before you know it. We're into the round of 16 next Saturday. This World Cup is flying by. That's what happens when they play four games in a day for a straight week. Um, we're running on fumes. Like I said, I'm very excited. It's the last 7 a.m. kickoff tomorrow. World Cup's going to get a whole lot better when I'm not setting alarms for it. <laughs> um, one big thing. Do you have anything to close out this show, Amit? No, my big rant was the striker rant. I okay. think that uh, managers should play their striker. And then I also did a whole bit on the variance thing, which is a thing we talk about on this podcast. I think in general, you're, you are seeing the post analytical revolution form of soccer at this tournament. And maybe we're all the worse for it. But when you pitch the world cup to be the biggest stage in sports, but in definitely in football, it's kind of malpractice to be a manager and to roll out a team and make yourself open. And that's a shame, but this is why we're getting, this is why the group stage has been, annoying i think it's been cagey but what that means is we're going to get good games coming in these round three and the knockout round should be fun it should be very fun i think like basically what it means is at some point you still have to play right yeah at some point you have to play you could do all of that and you set yourselves up but at some point everybody's gonna have to play and like that point is coming for a lot of teams because you're getting into this final group stage match 
and most likely you're going to need a result of some kind. And if that result is a win, you have to go and attack it and you have to do it. And so maybe we'll get a, a pretty exciting last stage of group stage matches. Another thing I wanted to bring up, there was a, an article on the athletic that asked the question, are, you know, upset results bad for the world cup because it means less quality teams moving forward. What? what? Just stop, stop. No, I don't care. I want good results at any point. I don't want to watch UEFA Euro 2020. I just watched that tournament last summer. I don't need to watch it again. If teams from outside that confederation have success, even if they are lesser quality teams, even if they are lesser talented teams, it is better for the World Cup. World Cup upsets are great. End of story. Yeah, I don't think you need to defend that one that much. We agree wholeheartedly. Those are some of the best narratives and storylines at a World Cup. And they're just playing for so much not more, but like it means a lot to them. And it's yeah. awesome to see them. And some of the best moments of the past, all the World Cups are yeah. those kinds of teams doing things. And what happens when the World Cup gets to 48 teams? Yeah. I, we don't need to start. We're 45 minutes in. I don't answer that question. But at okay. some point we can talk about it. It's not going to be good for like the things that make a World Cup fun. All right, cool. Uh, that's all from us. We'll be back tomorrow where we will break down the last day of match day two and we will talk about Tuesday. How are the nerves? Not yet. Not yet. Wait, okay. not worried yet. Not okay. Yet. We'll, all right. We'll check in tomorrow. Your beloved Philadelphia Eagles are playing. So that's, that's kind of taken the nerve center so far, right? We'll focus on the next nerves after this nerves. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back tomorrow.